Hey everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Startups Unedited. Hey everyone, this is George Soto with Soto Ventures. Hope all is well. Uh, today I'm super excited to be joined by Sean Shepard, who, Sean, by the way, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. How's everything? That's great, man. How are you doing? Good, good. It's, uh, it's been a while since I've seen you. We should catch up in person soon. We should. Well, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background? You've done some phenomenal things for the startup community, sales community, SaaS community in Silicon Valley. Love to hear a little bit about what you're up to as well these days. Sure. Um, serial entrepreneur, close to 20 years as a, as a selling founder, co-founder, or first or early hire in, uh, in, uh, in, in tech sales organizations. I've had uh, you know, three wins and two valuable learning experiences during my career. I love um, that, valuable learning experiences, totally. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how else to say it. Sometimes <laughs> if you don't laugh, you'll cry. It's, I, so I, 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 I bias towards laughing. Um, and um, more recently, um, I partnered up with uh, Will Bunker, the founder of Match.com, and Andrew Golder, the former publisher of Reuters and chief technology counsel at DoubleClick. And we launched a, uh, a seed stage um, venture capital fund and a market development accelerator program. So it's a $50 million seed stage fund. We work, on com we work with companies that have early indicators of product market fit, early customers, early revenue, great product focused people. But unlike most accelerators who focus on helping companies develop product and raise money, we're focused on the stage where they need to market product and make money. Awesome. And I think that, you know, from what I remember, you were building a fantastic program at, at Tradecraft. Were there some of the things that sort of, you know, you were focused on there that you were able to transition and then sort of fuse it with the capital piece as well? Yeah, well, I, you know, I went to Tradecraft to, um, to try out my curriculum for a startup MBA program that I developed back in 2006. Um, and was thinking about at that time launching a sales college uh, a month after Lehman Brothers crashed. So I decided to shelve it <laughs> for obvious reasons and um, dusted it off and reapplied it to the startup community um, after exiting my last company. And uh, that's where I met Will and Andrew, and uh, we saw this opportunity together to uh, – to invest in seed stage companies that lacked help on the sales and marketing side. Once again, we see a lot of great product focused founders, but very few of them have knowledge and experience in, um, in getting to product market fit in the most capital efficient way possible. So while your products and your markets are unique, the path to product market fit is not. The same series of steps uh, need to happen and we've developed a methodology to do that as efficiently as possible and get to the truth faster than you may otherwise be able to get to it on your own. Awesome. You know, what would you say are the characteristics of a successful seed stage startup, let's say a seed stage startup within SaaS? Well, the first thing everyone has to recognize is that they don't know what they don't know yet and that products don't create uh, value, customers do. So the first and foremost, the, the number one characteristic between 
when you think about startups in, in the terms of product, team, and market, market wins every time. Um, it's sort of like a piece of real estate. Your house is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Uh, you can look online all day long at what you think the value is or what an appraiser might come in at. And I know this doesn't resonate very well in San Francisco where the real estate prices continue to go up, but in other markets, that's not always the case. <laughs> so your, your product is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And that's the ultimate true measure of whether or not you've created value. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is, is does the team, uh, um, does the, is the team humble and hungry enough to be a functional learning organization? Can they create a product market feedback loop to accelerate learning and recognize that they've, they're taking an incomplete product to market and their, their goal is to find innovators and then, uh, who will give them product feedback and then early adopters who will uh, have budget and see a competitive advantage in using their product to help them build a more whole and complete product that they could then take to the mainstream marketplace. So those are the characteristics of the product, the team, and the market that we see most often as being successful. In terms of the characteristics of the individuals, they need to be able to embrace ambiguity, they need to be able to listen, uh, they need to be able to act quickly, and they need to be able to have a bootstrapping mentality. The biggest problem we see at seed stage is capital inefficiency. Uh, you can learn without spending a lot of money and recognize that the seed stage is for learning. Now, do you think that you should be, well, I guess, how, how concerned should you be with the competitive environment at that stage when you're still trying to figure out product market fit? You know, I, I see a lot of folks get into this kind of process where they're looking at, you know, direct or indirect competitors and they're doing these like, hey, we have to have these features too, me too type stuff. Like what's the balance between this is what the competitors or the market is providing, you know, um, and we should have some of these comparable features versus, hey, let's just really kind of do 10x these features. Let's really innovate. What's that balance, especially in B2B where it's not a consumer transaction where you can have a great sales process that can really sell, you know, value propositions and, you know, all these sorts of things. So what is that balance? Um, so there's two ways to look at this. There's the tactical way and the practical way. Tactically, um, you need to understand the job pain and gain associated with what your customers are currently doing today and the tools they're using to do that. And if those tools are competitive tools, then sure, you need to look at that, but you need to look at it through the prism of your customer. How are you different? What makes you unique relative to those other products? How can you either evolve or innovate over what they're doing. So that's number one. But do that through the eyes of the customer, not through your own. The second one is, you know, that the, the, the famous basketball coach, and maybe at this point, the, the winningest basketball coach in the history of the sport was John Wooden, head coach of UCLA, and won, you know, whatever it was, 10 championships in eight and 10 years, and, you know, won, hadn't lost a game in like three years. He never scouted the opponent. He only focused on execution of his own team. So there's that piece of this as well. What's really easy to do is to roam off and get distracted with FOMO, the fear of missing out or these, this idea that, 
that some other product is better or you need this because they need that. Don't assume anything except responsibility for your own actions. Number one, hypothesize whether or not that stuff matters and ask the questions of your customers. Don't assume that you need it just because somebody else has it. Well, what's the balance between, let's say you have your first uh, 10 or 20 beta customers, right? And they're all asking you for features because they are seeing value and you're, you're being able to communicate, you know, uh, the pain point that you're solving well, etc. And then you, next thing you know, you have a list of 50 features, okay, which are like, you know, reasonable features. They're not really that innovative at all. They're just kind of like the requirement checkbox type stuff, um, you know versus so you have that versus you know that there are some innovative features that you're that you and your team have been thinking about that get really get you excited and you really understand are the 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 you know kind of 10x innovative features how do you start as a founder and at that product market fit sort of discovery step how do you balance like hey here are the features that we need because the customers or these early customers are requesting but then here are these other features that we know are really powerful i know steve jobs said uh, and i don't remember the exact quote but he was essentially saying hey your users don't actually always know what they need and so you know let's let's provide them with these innovative sort of features what is that balance how do you know what to focus on great question um, what Steve said is people don't know what you wanted to give it to them and it's one of the most dangerous things that's ever been said especially to young founders that haven't been through it before um, people don't remember I'm old enough at 43 years old having been born and raised in this area um, to, to, to have seen him almost kill that company on two separate occasions with that attitude. Um, so I don't buy that attitude. I don't believe in it. I think that it's an outlier. Um, so that's number one. Um, the second thing is if it's, there's two ways to think about it. Number one, do you believe that your customers create value or your product? And if you believe once again, that your customers create value and the product doesn't follow the customer. Um, Secondly, um, the, uh, it becomes a resource issue. So practically, when you think about um, how much money do you have, how many people do you have on your team, how are you allocating those resources, and what, is, what, have you, what expectations have you set with your investor community? If you say you've got some sort of game-changing technology that means that it's going to take X amount of time and this many resources for us to get this product to a certain place where it truly is a game changer, right? If it's an Airbnb or it's an Uber or it's a Dropbox or um, it's something that is so fundamentally transformative, um, then you better raise enough money to execute on that. And that's okay as long as you know that going in, right? Um, sometimes you just need enough money to validate that that's a thing and that you've got those early customers that believe and will say definitively, yes, this is transformative, and if you do X, Y, and Z, um, we will buy it, we will use it, right? Um, so there's a balance to be played there. If you don't have the resources, build what your customers want and are willing to pay for. And then the only risk becomes, are there more people that want what that person or that group of customers wants? It's not the risk of, will anybody want it, which is the transformative risk. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So what I think I'm hearing is, you know, really build based on customer feedback 
and nail it for them. And then it's a matter of, hey, what's my total addressable market for these types of users or organizations? Yeah, you have to construct a hypothesis that, look, if I build this for this group of customers, there is X amount of other customers in that addressable market that will want something similar or, uh, or hopefully the same thing. But we have to take a market first approach. Um, and I love all of our product focused founders. What makes them wonderful at what they do you know, the determination, the stick-to-itiveness, and the ardent belief in what they're doing and the vision that they have is, is what drives them to get to an MVP, and that's great. But that's not what creates the ultimate value in the, mar in the marketplace. The marketplace does. Mm -hmm. So you have to think from the market backwards. Find those early customers who are willing to devote their time and resources and giving you the feedback necessary to build a product that you hypothesize will deliver value to a similar segment of the community and that's the market milestone. Now, if, if that's not the case and you can convince others that, that uh, what you're doing is truly transformative, therefore you need more time and money and resources and you can just ignore this, those 50 features that you just called out and focus on the ones that you say are truly visionary and game-changing, that's great. But that's not always the case. In fact, most times, most often it's not. George, did I lose you? Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, hey lost, lost uh, uh, I think we're, we're, we're still, still rolling. rolling. All right, back on. <laughs> My internet cut out there. No worries. All right. So you were saying, <laughs> I think the, the last, uh, the last component you were saying was, um, you know, driving, uh, allowing the market to really dictate where you should be going as opposed to, you know, just and, and how great product founders were. But, you know, that gets you to an MVP, but it, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, at some point, you got to start talking to humans, right? Yeah. And you need to decide whether or not those humans uh, who are the ones that are going to give you an economically viable business um, if their priorities are aligned with your priorities. Yeah. And my experience, again, most in most cases, is that if you build what people want and, and a small group of those people will pay for it, now the risk becomes are there more like them? Are there enough like them for me to build a, a viable, scalable business? Now, speaking of investment, what's the current state of the seed stage um, angel stage investment environment. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring that up. We talk about this a lot. 
um, you know, uh, the seed stage is the new A round. Uh, the traction requirements of the seed stage are getting are, are more are getting closer and closer to the old A round uh, requirements. You know, the first time I raised money in two in '99, um, I raised eight and a half million dollars just to get to MVP. I can build that same product today for about two hundred fifty thousand. So, because the infrastructure and the tools are in place, it's a lot cheaper to to learn. And as a result, there's more money being spread across more companies in fewer, in, in smaller amounts to get to MVP and to get to whether or not there are traction milestones that need to be met. Uh, so it's easier for us to, well, it's just, I don't want to say easier. That's not the, that's not the right word. It's uh, less expensive uh, to learn than it's ever been. Uh, so... What investors want to see, especially even at the seed stage now, is what the old A round guys would want to see, which is show me traction, show me revenue, show me early customers, show me a path to product market fit, show me a path to an investable CAC LTV ratio that scales, show me that you know how to learn and do that. Um, that's what people want to see. So it's changed in that regard. So, you know, I have a question because, you know, I talk to a lot of founders about, you know, their, their first fundraising, whether it's angel um, or seed, whether it's institutional or just independent investors, what is a successful first, you know, round look like? Like, you know, from a, from, and I, know it's, I know it's hard to, you know, maybe speak to in too many details because there is some very, you know, customizers, subjective opinions. Um, but, uh, you know, what does the cap table look like? How much should you be giving away? You know, especially it's like you and a co-founder or two or three, um, and you just need to be able to raise a little money to, you know, keep the servers up and, you know, and, and those sorts of things, not even pay your, yourself, but it's really more infrastructure costs. You know, what does that look like? What is the, the composition of that first uh, round look like? Well, I would say, you know, functionally, if you think about the long view, it's that this, the old 50, 30, 20 model still applies. You want to reserve 50% of the company for the founders, the founding team, 30% uh, for the investor community and 20% for the option employee pool over time. Um, at the seed or angel round, um, some of it's values driven, depends on who the people are, but from our view, um, raise as little as you need to be comfortably focused on achieving your next market milestone, whatever that is. Um, because as former founders ourselves, we're founder focused. We want we we believe that if if we do and help founders do what's in their best interest, that will be in everyone's best interests, and make sure that that cap state table stays clean for future investment. And opportunities. So, you know, you can do a safe note, you can do a convertible note. You might want you, depending on where you are, you might be able to do a priced round, although we we advise against it. Um, as a as a as a fund that where more than half of our investments are outside of Silicon Valley, we advise middle America and the rest of the world to to uh, incorporate as a C corporation so they can take venture capital if they need it, not just LLCs. We see it's a real problem. We see a lot of, and it's understandable, but we see a lot of startups in other communities um, 
form as LLCs because their friends and family investors and high net worth people want pass through losses as long as they can get them. Um, and uh, eventually, if they go for institutional money, uh, that that has to change. They end up having to convert, which is costly and sometimes um, a political pain in the ass uh, with their investor community. Now, if I am a founder out there interested in, in getting in touch with you or applying to GrowthX, you know, how should I uh, go about getting in contact with you? You know, are there some prerequisites that I have to be, uh, you know, sort of that I have to have in place? And, um, and, and who is that ideal founder that you guys are looking for at this point? Sure. Um, well, I think I alluded to some of the characteristics earlier. You know, we love humble, hungry product-focused founders that recognize they don't know what they don't know yet about the market side of their business. They have a bootstrapping mentality, um, and, they, uh, and they, they, they're more interested in our help than our money. Um, they can go to growthx.com, read more about us and our community of, of, of founders, uh, and, and reach us there. We view help as our due diligence, so we try to be accessible. We try to be transparent. And we try to give legitimate reasons when we pass. Uh, we just don't disappear into the woodwork uh, because we've all been there, and that's our that's our attitude. And our 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 goal is to uh, you know we don't think founders should have to come to the valley to raise money or be close to their capitalists. They need to be close to their customers and focused on that. So we're we're expanding. We've got offices in now in Nashville, Dallas, and Phoenix, which are three great markets for reasonable valuations and and founders that um, that want to stay home uh, and build their company and build out their own ecosystem and contribute to that. And we're going to do the same thing in other markets around the globe as we, as we grow as well. Fantastic. Sean, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If folks want to follow you on social media, uh, what are, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Are you on LinkedIn? I, I, I know personally you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was one of the first 10,000 guys on LinkedIn and girls. Um, but uh, at Sean A. Shepard, S-E-I-N, my middle initial A, last name Shepard, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D is my uh, Twitter handle. I'm there. Uh, I blog regularly for, uh, for GrowthX Media as well as Sales Hacker uh, and some others. Um, and we were, again, recently featured in Forbes last week for our, uh, our new investment approach. So I'm out there. I'm constantly uh, making noise and, and having fun and doing workshops and talks and whatever I can do to help the startup community and build the ecosystem. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you again for joining us this morning. Really, really appreciate it. hope to see you in, uh, in person soon and catch up. I, I, I'm really excited about what you're doing and love to be uh, as supportive as possible. Thanks, George. The feeling's mutual. I look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too, buddy.